You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. This message is from our sermon series called Created, presented by Justin Hibbert, pastor of New Hope Chapel. The book of Genesis. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. By Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made, and Him was life, and that life was the light of man. So whereas Genesis starts with an action, God creates something, John starts with a relationship. That in the beginning there was this fellowship between God and the Word, or Logos, as we talked about in our Yeshua and the Torah series. The Word of God, and we look further on, we find out that the Logos of God, the Word of God, is referring to Jesus, the second person of the triunity, of the Trinity. And, and that God, the Son, holds all things together. Nothing has been made without him. So this is a fellowship that John is referring to here. Jesus is often called the word of God, the revelation of God. That when God speaks, he speaks through his son. That's what Hebrew says. In the past, God has spoken through us through prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. But we see the complexity of God, this relationship of God, in Genesis chapter 1 as well. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, there's his word, and God said, let there be light. And we know that the word of God is light. That in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. By Him all things were made, nothing without Him has been made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. Life, or light, gives light. So there, in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, we see the complexity of God. Not only do we see the complexity of God in how things are described, but we also see it in His name. The word God in Hebrew is the word Elohim. It's a very interesting word, because Elohim is actually the plural form of God. In other words, literally, it means gods. It's the heme ending that gives it that. So why did God refer to himself as gods? Well, he doesn't. That's his name. It would be like saying, my name is Justin's, or Steve saying, my name is Steve's, or something like that. But perhaps it's to show and demonstrate the complexity of God. So Elohim can mean gods, or it can mean the God. So we're talking about, when you read about the gods of the Egyptians, you're going to hear, you see that word, Elohim, though it's not properly used. Now we see why, perhaps in Deuteronomy 6.4, God defines himself as one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our Elohim, the Lord is one. We would recognize that there's some complexity of God, that that he has this relationship with himself, this intimacy that is very complex, that he can be different persons, but still one. And we have a word for that in Christianity. We call it the Trinity or the Triunity, that the Father is not the Son and is not the Holy Spirit, but all three are equally God and make up the Godhead. We kind of don't understand it. We take it in faith, but to us, This seems a little beyond what our minds can grasp. But we see it. We see how intimate this union is among the Godhead. We see the relationship between the Father and the Son. That when the Son is taken out of heaven and brought to earth, he can't help but spend time with his Father. 
He has to get away from the crowds to spend time with God the Father. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he pours out his heart to God the Father and says, take this cup from me if it be your will, but not my will, but yours be done. This is the intimacy of God. In fact, the intimacy of God, the unity of God is so profound that it it, it can't be torn apart. We, we, we even see certain actions that God does, and sometimes we don't know if it's God the Father acting, or God the Son acting, or God the Holy Spirit. We, we don't know, because it's so unified. So, last week we talked about that we are created in the image of God, and that certain things about God's image is written into the fabric of our being, of our soul. So if the central part of God's character is that he's one. If that's the one thing he wanted to emphasize at the center of his law, though he emphasized many things about his characteristics, wouldn't that be written on us as well? Wouldn't we have this complexity, this unity, this oneness as well that God has given to each and every one of us at creation? We are created for intimacy. And that's our focus this morning. Just a couple of things in how we were created for intimacy. The first thing is, we were created for intimacy with God. We were created for intimacy with God. You and I, we were created for Eden. We were created for a relationship with God. Now, that's not to say that God didn't know that we would fall. He did. He tells Adam, he says, when you eat of the fruit, not if, but when you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. And Adam and Eve, though they were created for Eden, though they were created for this intimacy with God, There's this moment where they sin, and so God expels them out of Eden. That that perfect union, that intimacy with God, could no longer be the case, because perfection is incompatible with imperfection. And so we get a glimpse of hell here, as Adam and Eve are expelled from the very presence of God, the very thing that they were created for. But you know... God, in his infinite mercy, lest we think he's totally just just, and and there's no loving and merciful side of him, he reaches out to humanity over and over and over and over again. And so throughout history, he reaches out. He he gives uh, sacrifices and prescribes sacrifices. He gives the law. He gives the tabernacle. He gives the temple. He gives the prophets. He gives of himself to reach out to humankind. And then he gives of himself through his son to reach out to humankind, that the relationship should be restored. But the moment of greatest intimacy comes at Pentecost. Because at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit begins to indwell in the hearts of men. So you don't get any more intimate than that, that God actually is inside of you, right? That is pretty intimate, outside of Eden at least. Do you not know, Paul said, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? I mean, think about that. God, the Holy Spirit, the one that hovered over the waters, the one that, um, the one that raised Jesus from the dead, that is inside of you and me. Do you know what that means? That's profound. That's huge. That should make all of the difference in the world, right? But, you know, I think sometimes we, we neglect that. We forget that the Holy Spirit is in us. We forget just what all of that means. And so sometimes we, we you know, we, we 
say, oh God, if you would just come here. You know, we read the, the book of Exodus, we read about Moses and his relationship with God, and that God met with him, and we like, I want that, that's what I want. I want God's glory to show up, and you know, we have some idea of what that means. And we forget that the Holy Spirit indwells within us the entire time. That we don't have to go looking for God and having his glory show up like it did for Moses. In fact, Paul tells us that in 2 Corinthians 3. Look at what he says. He says, The Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of his glory. We know that, right? He would put on a veil to hide that glory. But he says, transitory though it was. In other words, changing though it was. That this was not a permanent thing. It changed over time. Will not the ministry of the Spirit, the thing we have, the God that we have inside of us, be even more glorious than what Moses had? For what was glorious, in Moses' case, has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory, changing, came with glory, and it did, right? Moses' experience came with great glory. How much more glorious is that which lasts? We are not like Moses, Paul goes on to say, who would put a veil over his face, not only to shield the glory that was being shown, but look what he says, to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Moses didn't want Israel to see that, you know what, that glory is leaving me. That's what Paul says. That glory is not here. He didn't want the Israelites to say, did you see Moses' face? Did you see it wasn't so glorious today? Right? So he put the veil over his face, not only to shield from the glory, but also to keep Israel from seeing what was passing away. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. You and I, when we turn our hearts to the Lord, the veil is gone. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into the image of God with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So Paul says, you know what? You may think that Moses had it great, but Moses would give anything to have what you have today. You have the Holy Spirit. You have an intimacy with God that is just amazing. That God himself has made a way to dwell within you. This is how you were created. God knew that you would need that intimacy. He knew that that Adam and Eve and, and, his, and their descendants would crave that image of God. This is why we pursue the image of God. We pursue our Heavenly Father. And God has given us a way to have that intimacy once again. And it will be even greater when we experience the new heaven and the new earth, the new Eden in which we get to dwell with God. Tabernacle with Him is the word that John uses in Revelation. You were created for intimacy with God. The second thing is, you were created for intimacy with another. And I realize that we are, um, that there are people that are called to be single. I understand that. But certainly the exception rather than the rule. That God has provided a way to have this loving intimacy with another human being. And even those who are called to be single know that there is something deep inside of them that they, they have this longing for. But God has chosen something different for them. You know, in the book of Genesis, when we read about creation, God 
looks, he creates something, and he says something about it. He says, and he said, it was good. But there's one thing about God's creation he said wasn't good. In Genesis 2.18, he says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man is alone. I will make a suitable helper for him, or a helper suitable for him. Now, I don't know about you guys and how you refer to your spouses. Maybe you call them honey or dear or things like that. Anyone refer to their wife as suitable helper? (laughs) Suitable helper, I love you, cherish you. That was a really good steak you cooked, suitable helper. Thank you. I don't, I don't recommend it. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise it might come with, uh, I hope that couch is suitable for you. <laughs> uh, it's kind of a, a weird word, a weird translation of the word. I don't think it's a very good one, if you ask me. Because the word that's used uh, here is the word Azer in Hebrew, it means suitable helper, it means helper, but whenever it's used, it's always used to talk about God outside of this story in Genesis. So, for example, it's used in Deuteronomy 33, blessed are you, Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and azer, helper, and your glorious sword. Or Psalm 33:20. we wait and hope for the Lord. He is our azer, our help, and our shield. In other words, what this means is that God was creating Eve to be like his hand to Adam, to to provide for Adam in a way that he would provide for Adam, to be this this intimate, loving human being for Adam the way that he is for us. So what he finds is that in Genesis 2 we read, but for Adam no suitable helper was found, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. And the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Anyone call their wife rib? All right. So he, he puts him to sleep and creates this woman out of him. And as John Eldridge says, he says, it's the one surgery man has never recovered from. Right? <laughs> because as soon as Adam sees his wife, he just starts reciting poetry. I mean, he can't help it. He says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. <laughs> Rough winds do shake the darling buds of May, but summer's lease hath all too short a date. Right? He just starts reciting poetry. He is smitten with this woman. Right? And something else happens. It says this about their relationship. This is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. So just as the Lord is complex in different persons, but yet unified and one, here he prescribes this unity for man and woman that they sort of experience in a way, though different, the unity that God experiences. I realize that um, there are divorces, and there is a passage which says God hates divorce. And I think the reason why, the reason why is because God cannot imagine being separated from himself. I mean, the thought of that, just think about that for a minute. The unity that God experiences, the intimacy that God has, for him to be separated from himself. So he looks at human, humankind in this 
relationship that he has established. And he thinks, I can't imagine what that's like to be torn apart from myself, right? But then, of course, there's sin. And sin creeps in the world, and things happen in relationships that God did not intend. So it says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And then she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So the woman that was called to be the hand of God, to be uh, that hand of God to Adam as God is to us, the azer that God created, instead of feeding Adam something that would be helpful and beneficial and something that would promote life, She gives him something that's going to destroy him. Something that's going to kill him. And it all changes from there, right? So, as soon as Adam eats it, their eyes are open. They feel ashamed. They feel embarrassed. They realize they're naked. They see the world. They perceive the world in a way that God never intended them to perceive, to see things, right? And then God comes looking for them. And he confronts Adam and says, Wait, who told you you were naked, right? What happened? Did you eat of that fruit? And here's his answer, ready? Watch how fast the human relationship deteriorates. He says, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. There's a a marriage counselor named John Gottman. He's probably, he's a Jewish man and he's probably the foremost marriage counselor, therapist, writer, and things like that in, in, um, in the world today, and he speaks on lots of different shows and has the, a marriage institute that he has. And, and what he says, and actually what's pretty phenomenal, he says, I can sit with a couple, and in 15 minutes, with 94% accuracy, I can tell you whether or not their marriage is going to last or whether it's going to end in divorce. And he says the reason is because all of the, all of the broken marriages, the failed marriages, have something in common. They, they all do things like contempt and criticize and um, stonewalling, all these different symptoms of these broken marriages. Without, and we all, we all have these issues in marriages, but these couples, they don't know how to fix it. So they don't fix it. And it ends up being this cycle of a problem. Um, you can look at on, on YouTube. He, he gives some characteristics. He shows some things. It, it's really fascinating to watch. But do you see how quickly this relationship deteriorates? Adam puts himself over Eve. He, he says he's better than her, so to speak. He says, the woman you put here with me. He criticizes her publicly, so God is standing right there, and, and, and he talks about her while God, is, while God is standing there, while Eve is listening. That's, that's a terrible way for relationships to function. He criticizes her. He says, it's all your fault. And what John Gottman says, he says, what I... What do you, He says, what I often find when I look at these marriages that are broken and these people that criticize each other is that what I find is that really what they are, they're disappointed with themselves and they they project that on their spouse. Do we see that here? I mean, yeah, we, we see how Eve caused Adam to stumble, but where was Adam? Where was his voice here? Where was Adam to say, Wait, wait a second, Eve, before you do this, let's think about this. Let's really think about this. Because we know what God said. Maybe this is not a good idea, Eve. Let's not do this, right? He doesn't do that. He fails in his responsibility just as Eve fails in her 
And that marriage falls apart very, very quickly. You know, but it began, it didn't begin with Adam criticizing Eve. It didn't begin with a bad relationship there. It began when Adam and Eve failed in their relationship with God. So we could say that our relationship with God directly affects our relationship with other people, right? Our relationship with God, who we are, who we, who we are in Christ, who we, how we have that relationship with God will affect those relationships with others. And Jesus says the same thing, kind of a different way. He's asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. By the way, this comes right after he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all of your strength. Then he says, the second commandment is like the first. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But I think we love our neighbors. That comes easily when we love God. When we understand God's love for us, it's easier to project our, that love onto others. So we are created not only for intimacy with God, but for intimacy with our spouses, with intimacy with another. This is God's design for us. But I do want to take you back, and I want just close with this one thing. I want to take you back to this one scene in the Garden of Eden. There is this moment where Adam and Eve are worlds apart. Eve has sinned. She's eaten the fruit, the forbidden fruit. But Adam has not. And in that moment, Adam has a choice to make. Either he can remain faithful to God and be intimate with God and say, you know what, this, this, my relationship with God is more important than my relationship with my spouse. I am going to stay with God. Or he can say, you know what? This woman, this flesh of my flesh and bones of my bones, this, this wife that I have, who I'm one with, this beautiful, loving, wonderful woman, I can remain intimate with her and sacrifice my intimacy with God. And he chooses in that moment, he chooses his wife over God. I want to take you about 5,000 or so years later on the cross where God has a moment where he can say, you know what? I can choose to remain one with myself, the intimacy with myself, even though it would mean not having that intimacy with mankind. Or I can tear myself apart from myself, so that I can be again intimate with mankind. What does Jesus say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is the most crucial moment of the Gospels. When God, back into Eden, right? God rescues the hearts of men at the expense of the unity and the relationship with himself. This is the intimacy. We have an amazing intimacy with God because of this moment. It's a a parallel of Eden, so to speak. That moment where Adam and Eve are worlds apart, where Jesus, God the Son, and God the Father are worlds apart. This is why we have intimacy with God. This is why we have 
intimacy with others. This is how God has made a way for us. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.